you have a Bible with you or you'll take one of those in the pew in front of you and turn to the book of Jonah. The ESV in your pew, it's, I believe it's page 774 towards the middle of your Bible. Chip started a series last week and we'll continue today. Happy Father's Day to those of you that are fathers. I get to go see my dad for a few minutes today on our way to, uh, we get to, his, his Father's Day present is he gets to keep our kids for a few days while, while we go to General Assembly. So we get to go see them and celebrate and, and then uh, head up to Louisville. So. A few years ago, well, I guess it's been several years ago now, I was in college and one of my roommates came into my room there in our apartment and he was holding a cassette tape. And it was a sermon from a, a guy named Alistair Begg that was preaching to, at that time, the Christian Singers and Songwriters National Conference in 1997, I believe it was. And in it, he started off by, by giving two examples of what he thought were pictures of the church then, and I think pictures of the church sadly today. One was, he said, lifeboat stations were... In the, in the development of our country along the eastern seaboard, as people came over to our, our country, they would establish all along the eastern seaboard lifeboat stations that were manned with rough and ready sailors, ready to respond to the cries of the shipwrecked at a moment's notice and, and be there to help save lives. He said, sadly, over the years, the purpose changed, the emphasis changed, and without a an exception, every one of those lifeboat stations are now marinas where people sail as kind of a leisure time pursuit and people spend money on large yachts that, that dock in the harbors. He said the other picture is when he, he's from Scotland, he said when he goes home to Scotland and, and England, he will visit around the castles. He said without exception, they're all ruins. He said back in the day, they uh, had the drawbridge down, the port call us up, and there were centers of community activity where people came to trade and to, to meet, to do business. But over the years, again, the emphasis changed, the purpose changed, the drawbridges went up, port colluses went down. And today, slowly, not, not, nothing fast, but over over degree of change, without exception, every one of those castles are ruins. He said then... And I believe now, those are the dangers of the church. They've always been the dangers of the church. Back in, in Israel, when Israel was given the, the mission of God, that was their tendency, was to stop looking outward, stop being zealous for the mission of God, and turn inward and be nationalistic in focus and say, you've got to look this way to be a part of us. And God, We're the favorite people of God. And time and time again, that was the start of their descent into great tragedy. And sadly, I think that's the, the danger of us today as the church, both corporately as the church and then individually, to, to stop looking outward, to stop focusing on what God has called us to be about in the world because of many reasons, some of them that are valid reasons. But we start to focus inward. We start to, to join arms and, and get inward focused and say, hey, this is what you've got to be about if you want to be just like us and join us. And uh, th there's danger there that I think the book of Jonah very much addresses. In fact, I think that's the reason it was written long ago to Israelites to help try to wake them up to maybe something that was true of them. And so we can read today something that's true of us. 
And we can pray that the Lord will use it even today to shake us and to wake us up to what may be some tendencies in our own hearts. Let's read starting in chapter 1, verse 1 through verse 16. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, What is this you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you, that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's pray one more time. Spirit, will you be our teacher? God, you know my own heart, how I want to get out of the way. I want things to be clear to me and to all of us here today so that we can hear from you and that you can do a work in us. Would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen. I want to look briefly at three characters in this story. Jonah, Yahweh, and Jesus. Jonah, Yahweh, and Jesus. Let's look first at Jonah. What do we see? What do we learn from the character of Jonah in this passage? Chip talked last week extensively about the the background of this book and of Jonah. Let me just draw just a few things that he mentioned that are, I think, essential to understand for today's passage specifically. You know, Jonah, in his background, had uh, known very well, and maybe even personally, the raids of foreign enemies coming and taking over and raiding Israelite villages. Uh, He uh, had, in his past, Experienced that. Perhaps even some tragedies in his own life, his own village, his own family. He knew it well. And he perhaps carried with him some scars, some fresh uh, scars from growing up, knowing what it was like, knowing what these people, that even he, some of the people he was called 
in Nineveh to go call against were capable of. But he also, in his past, had success. Uh, Chip talked last week in 1 Kings. You can go and read about how Jonah, in the reign of Jeroboam, gave a prophecy saying, hey, God, in this reign, is going to expand back the extent of this kingdom, the borders of his kingdom, back to his Davidic time. And that came true, which was the mark of a true prophet. And so Jonah had some sense of success. He was somewhat of a big deal. Uh, he had, had what he had prophesied had come true. And so if Jonah were to enter your town, it would probably be some whispering. Hey, Jonah's here. I wonder what the word of the Lord is now. So scars from his upbringing, pride from some successes in his life as a prophet, um, but also a present growing resentment in his heart specifically for the people that God had called him to go and preach to. The Ninevites, the Assyrians were most likely uh, had had some raids in the nation of Israel and most likely when the time this was written, Israelites were giving, were paying tribute to the Assyrians, Assyrians, which would be like us paying a tax that we get no benefit from to a foreign uh, dictator in a foreign land. Our hard-earned work going out the window to somebody else. So there's some growing resentment. All that to say, sin is sin, but it's so much bigger than just what it seems like on the surface. We all bring into our sin baggage and background. Some of what is really real and fresh and scars. Some of it is things that have happened in the past that we didn't realize we were taking pride from, but that still is, is, is in us. And some of it is an underlying that we don't even recognize, maybe growing resentment that we're carrying with us. Well, that all plays into the next question of what is this sin? That's his background. What is this sin in this passage? And as my professors at Covenant taught me, we need to ask not only what is the sin, but what is the sin beneath the sin? And really in this passage, what is the sin that's beneath the sin that's beneath the sin? Because it is a complicated thing here in the life of Jonah. On the surface level, it's clear rebellion. God says, go this way and do this thing. Jonah goes this way and does this thing. So it's on the surface, it seems simple and we are able to kind of dismiss it in our head. Well, God's never spoke to me and called me to go over here and do this. And so, you know, I've never gone the other direction. I can just dismiss this and go read something that matters like Ephesians. No, uh, it's a little bit more complicated than that. See, underneath his rebellion is this sense of pride. Both a personal pride of a self-dependence. God, you tell me to go over here and do this thing. But really, I think I know better. I'm going to go here and do this thing. So there's a personal pride. There's also a national pride. God, if I go up there and preach to the the Ninevites, the Assyrians, what happens if they repent? I got to look out for us. I'm not going to go up there because if they repent, then, you know, that's that's bad news for us. We don't want anything to do with them. But what's underneath the pride? Well, I think underneath the pride in Jonah's life here is a sin that we don't call a sin very much. And that would be the sin of of neglect. See, Jonah doesn't take up in his hand any kind of weapon and go toward Assyria and murder them on his own. No, he just says, you know what? I'm just not going to engage. I'm actually just going to go over here and do my own thing. And perhaps if I get some distance between us, God that's already proclaimed judgment, maybe time will run out, and that judgment will come. And then, oh, I wasn't involved. I just didn't engage. I've been convicted personally 
by the sin of neglect lately. Uh, One, from reading a friend who is involved heavily in the fight against sex trafficking in Georgia, who said uh, last week something to the extent of she has been so convicted of why she was never involved in this fight to begin with because she said, I can't see how it's not a sin to not get involved in fighting something so terrible and so monstrous. She said, by me ignoring it, I was sinning. Another example was by a foster mom who posted on her blog this week or a few weeks ago something that I say to foster moms all the time. I say, you know what, I just could never do what you do because I could never just let those kids go. If I loved them like that and then to let them go, that would just rip me apart. And she said on her blog, what do people mean when they say that? Do they mean that we don't love these kids that we take into our home? Do they they mean that it doesn't rip our hearts out when we have to give them back to a situation that is questionable? She said, no, I love them just as much as anybody else would. And I keep on loving them and praying for them. And I know that I've had them for a time under my care where I can show them the love of God for a time. And she says, the worst thing you can do is not get involved at all and just let them go to some other home. See, the sin and neglect is one that we, we commit all the time. We just don't call it a sin. It's here in the life of Jonah, leading to something much more obvious. But what's underneath that sin? I think underneath it all, and the passage points to it over and over and over, is the failure to worship rightly. Where is Jonah fleeing the whole time? Over and over it says, away from the presence of the Lord. He doesn't want to to get into the presence of the Lord because he knows what it'll do. It'll change him. It'll give him the heart that that he's supposed to have to want to go and preach to the Ninevites, to want to see them turn from their wicked ways, to be worshipers. The sin beneath all the sin is the failure to worship God rightly. Well, where does this lead? He's got his background all wrapped up in it. He's got this complicated web of sin uh, all complicated and worked up to it. Where does it lead him? First of all, it leads him to distance. It's amazing to see the ease that Jonah has in his rebellion at first. He decides he's going to rebel, and then he goes down to Joppa. And, oh, look here. There's a ship going the opposite direction of where God's called me. I'll hop on here and take it to Tarshish. Um, Spurgeon said this. He said he knew a man that used to throw violent tempers. And every time he got mad, he'd pick up something and throw it across the room. And he said what amazed him about the man's sin wasn't that he had a violent temper, but that whenever he got mad, there was something around to pick up and throw. (laughs) There was always something to enable this bad habit of throwing things. That's what we find here. Jonah says, hey, I'm going to rebel. And whoop, look here, here's a ship that's going to aid me in this. Listen, if we decide in our hearts to rebel against God, there's always going to be something that will enable us to do it. But it's not just distance. There's also extreme deception here. Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat. The worst place to be in the middle of a storm. He's oblivious to all that's going on around him. He uh, tells the sailors that he fears God, and yet he's in the midst of disobeying him. He is a slave to his own self-dependence. He has no idea. He can't see it. It's right in front of him. The sailors see it clearly, but he doesn't know. He doesn't see. He is misinformed about who this God is that he serves. He thinks that the storm is is one of two things. It's either God's punishment, and so I'm going to die, 
or it's God's giving up on me. I've run from him, and so he's done with me. And you see it come out in his conversation to the sailors, and that leads them to despair. I'm I'm useless. Just throw me in the water. Um, His inability to answer the questions of the sailors. One of the questions the sailors ask him specifically that he just avoids is, what is your occupation? He doesn't say anymore, I'm a prophet of the Lord. Because in his eyes, he's run from that. He's left it all, and he's no, no longer useful to the Lord. Think about the original audience. Think about the Israelites, how they would have heard this for the first time. Those who were um, getting caught up in all of these sins of rebellion and pride and neglect and the failure to worship God rightly. For them to hear this, there had to be some connections being made of, man, that sounds a whole lot like us. What about you? What about me today? What background are we bringing into our sin? Maybe we've got some deep hurts from the past. Maybe we've got some successes that have caused this pride in us that we weren't even aware of. And now we're in the midst of of neglect, of some sort of rebellion, if it's active or if it's passive rebellion against the Lord. And we're finding ourselves in the midst of a storm that we don't understand. And we think in our heads, well, this must be the punishment of God. Or maybe it's God just giving up on me. And so it leads us to despair. That's Jonah. Thus far in the book, as he's presented to us. What about the Lord? What about Yahweh? You see in this passage over and over, the covenant name of the Lord, Yahweh, is spoken. Whenever you see in your Old Testament scriptures, the Lord capitalized and in all caps there, it's it's the covenant name of God, His committed um, personal name that was given to Israel. We see with Yahweh that He is committed to His mission. And we'll see it further as we study the book that no matter what happens, He is going to accomplish His mission to reach the nations, to be a light to the nations, either through us or in spite of us. But he's not just committed to his mission, he's committed to his missionary. And this is the sweet part for us as the church or as individual Christians. Jonah may have deserved simple punishment, but he got so much more. He got God's love that was moving through simple, simple justice to a, a vigorous affection. The storm wasn't punishment. It was an intervention, a violent intervention by a God who loved Jonah. It would have been far worse if God had done what he does most of the time in his punishment. And that's just leave him alone. Let him go and follow his sin into misery and despair. God said, no, I'm, I'm going to get involved. And I'm going to get involved in a violent way because Jonah, I'm not done with you. I love you. And God's fury here is astounding in the storm. It's astounding, but his salvation is is transforming. And you see that in the life of the sailors. Jonah doesn't get it yet. It hasn't touched him yet. God's still got to take him a little bit further. But the sailors see it clearly. You see the progression of fear, first of all, in finding out and seeing the storm. Uh, Seasoned sailors that are scared to death. You know it must have been a big storm. But then you see it progress when they find out that actually Jonah is on board who serves the God who made the seas. All of a sudden, this terror. What have you done? What have you led us into? But that terror and that slavish fear is nothing compared to the worship that happens when God brings his peace, his salvation. It's amazing to read 
and see that they throw Jonah in and calm just takes place. And it, was, it must have been enough of a calm from the raging seas to the, 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 cease, the ceasing of raging that they were just in awe. Who is this God who saves like this? And so they worship and they vow, vow vows. The sailors are the highlight of this passage. And if, if, if God is going to work like this in the disobedience of Jonah, what might he do if Jonah obeys? Is where we're left at the end of this passage. So Jonah, steeped and mixed up in all this sin and despair. Yahweh, the committed covenant Lord, moving because he's not through with Jonah yet. The third character I mentioned, though, is Jesus. Whenever we study the Word of God, because we know the scope of the story, where things end, we're able to look and say, well, what, what does Jesus bring that, that, that sheds light on this passage? When I was first studying it, I, I was thinking, well, it's, it's obvious that Jesus is the opposite of Jonah. So when we look at Jonah, we can see all the things that Jonah didn't do, Jesus fulfilled and did. And that's true. But one person said, a couple of people said, as I was studying the commentaries, that actually, if the storm is God's gracious intervention, his furious, violent intervention to pursue a sinner, a rebellious sinner, then Jesus is our storm. Think about it this way. Have you rebelled? Do you have pride welling up within you for the things that you think you've accomplished that, that earn you favor with God? Do you neglect the huge things that God has called you to and me to? Do you find yourself unable to see God for who He is? You find yourself in the middle of a storm and what you're thinking is, God has punished me because I've done bad. Or, where is God? He's given up on me. When you think that way, go to Jesus. Because He is where God has said, No, I'm sending my Son. And He, a perfect representation of me, He is God Himself, is going to come into a sinful world. And when a perfect God comes to a sinful world, there's going to be fireworks. And that's exactly what happened with Jesus. He goes to the cross and violently takes the punishment that you and I deserve as rebels. And then he rises from the dead, conquering sin and death. And if you read about the resurrection, the crucifixion and resurrection, the sky went black. All sorts of stuff was happening. Crazy stuff. The storm had been unleashed. And now the blessing was going to go as far as the curse is found. So Jesus is here. He's where we look as rebels for our hope. A couple of weeks ago, I had a friend send me a, uh, a YouTube clip of an uh, elementary school kid. You know, this is the time of year, spring, summer, where school's ending up and everybody has field day. You remember field day as a kid? And this clip was of an uh, elementary school field day, and it featured one little, little boy named Matt who had spastic cerebral palsy. And his legs were bent in. He couldn't walk very good, um, much less run. But he had decided to enter a hard race, the 2 by 100 uh, race. And his teachers had told him, hey, this is going to be hard. And he said, I know. I want to do it. So they said, okay. 
And so the video is his mom taking a, a little a film of him, and he starts off the race. The kids take off, and everybody else is doing other events, you know, three, what, all the field day events, three-legged races, all this kind of stuff all around the, the field. And uh, the kids take off, and after the first curve, Matt is already he's walking and limping, and then he'll run a little bit, and then he'll walk a little bit. And you can see it's, it's, it's pretty hard for him. Well, the kids finish the race, and Matt's starting his second lap, and his coach has started to, to jog alongside him. And spontaneously, unprompted, kids start to notice what's going on in their different events. And they start to drop whatever they're doing, and they're walking to, to, to look at Matt, to watch Matt. And they start actually walking behind him, and then a cheer erupts of, let's go, Matt. And they're just they're doing this cheer as they walk around the, the track, and Matt's leading them as he, he jogs along. And he's getting encouragement for them. And the video ends with, whole group just as Matt crosses the finish line everybody just cheers they're all entered in with him in his victory to finish this race I cried like a baby every time I watch it Um, and part of it is this now being a father of four and getting a sense of what a father feels for his children not that they have to be the perfect runners but that they run that they finish, and I'm going to be behind them, encouraging them all the way. Listen, if you're in the middle of a storm this morning, even if it's of your own doing, of your own sin, it may be God's wake-up call to you. And if you're seeing it as God's punishment to you, or of God saying, I'm done with you, maybe there's a third option. Maybe he's the God of Jonah who says, I love you. I'm committed to you, and I'm not going to let you go. And you won't run perfectly, but run. I'm going to do everything that you need through sending my son Jesus to enable you to run and to finish. If you see it, a storm as, as just punishment or as just God leaving you and giving up on you, then your tendency will be to get bitter instead of getting better. But if you see it, it's God's gracious intervention to you, a rebel, that culminates in Jesus accomplishing everything for you because he loves you, then your tendency will be able to sing something like this. But as I ran my hell-bound race, indifferent to the cost, You looked upon my helpless state And led me to the cross And I beheld God's love displayed You suffered in my place You bore the wrath reserved for me Now all I know is grace Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that we can sing that song. Even though we're like Jonah. We bring in a ton of baggage from our own personal experience. And we, 
Our rebellion gets wrapped up in pride and in neglect and in not even worshiping you rightly at the bottom of it all. But you love us. You're committed to us. And God, we want, because we know Jesus rightly, we want you to intervene, to call us back to you as you've done. And because of what you've done in us, God, help us to run the race. Help us to take part in the mission that you've given us. Will you do that? In Jesus' name, amen.